One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Recorded in front of a live studio audience. Good morning, everyone. It is 7 o'clock here in Podcast Land Canada. Joined by a very special guest today. It's the guy who has two weeks to put these episodes together and still leaves it to the last minute. Self-proclaimed mental health advocate, Kyle Moore. Let's hear it for Kyle. Hi, it's uh, it's awful to be here. Awful to have you. Can I just say hi to the people back home real quick? The people you live with? Your parents? Yeah, yeah for sure. Hi, mom and dad. Must be uh, busy. Yeah, yeah, yeah so, like, something like that. So why do you procrastinate so long in making these things? Well, see, thank you, Kyle. Uh, I'm what people would call the worst so I do the whole I work bender under pressure thing. That's like the type that I say that well, I am. Sounds like some pride to me. <laughs> You'd probably be right. The 100% effort in the last hour so you don't fail during the two weeks leading up to the okay, episode. Okay, well, relax, <laughs> Mr. Mind Reader over here. Uh, you know, I can just, I, I think that I can just do anything. You know, you see? Like, I do see. Yeah. And then, Now, is it true that despite or maybe because you're a big hardo podcaster, you don't ask for the intro suggestions until the last minute? Uh, yes, that is correct. Didn't ask anyone. No. Oops. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, I am your host, who honestly, like <laughs> between you and me, uh, has really grown into his looks, Kyle Moore. Uh, and joining me is always the co-host who just goes everywhere with me, uh, the personification of my mental illness, also also me. As always, just a pleasure to be here. Um, question before we start, though. No, I haven't, I haven't seen 127 hours. See, I didn't think you had because it took us so fucking long to get that intro done. You know, you guys don't see the back end stuff, you know, the, like the work at home. But Lord, when you throw a curveball uh, with a pop culture reference, I, I crumble. You, you really do. <laughs> Mr. Mental Health and Pop Culture all tapped in and I get a suggestion like this, which is incredible, by the way, because I love a challenge. Um, and, and time just starts to like slip away and not not everyone can pull off James Franco interviewing himself. 
And you are living proof of that, my friend. Uh, it was a fun one, though. And shout out to our listener, Alex, for giving us uh, the idea. Um, follow her on Instagram, at AlexKV. That is A-L-E-K-S-K-V. Uh, and if you want to get a sh- shout out on the podcast, have a little bit of fun, you know, an idea brought to life. Um, all you have to do is follow us on Instagram, at Life's Direct Podcast. Or at Morzy. Yes, or at Morzy. And answer our question box leading up to the episode. Uh, we'll make it a reality show you on the pod. Fun stuff over here at Life's Rack. Just bunch of bunch of fun. Uh, and speaking of fun stuff, this episode of Life's Rack is brought to you by our friends at Tether, the men's peer support social network that uh, we're a part of and honestly have really benefited from. It's a community of men who just get it. Yeah, so download Tether in the App Store or Google Play Store today and start connecting. Man, I know that we have like this this the next thing up on the list, but I am. I'm really excited for this episode today um, because we've got a pretty cool announcement to make regarding the Better Tomorrow merch uh, that we dropped for the podcast. Yeah, because of your guys' support, Life's Direct Media is hella f***ing proud to donate $200 to the Maddie Murphy Memorial Fund, uh, a charity that was chosen by Lexi Dakin's family. Uh, it's a local memorial fund here in New Brunswick, and um, we're just really happy to be able to do our part um, in supporting that. Starting in a few months, Better Tomorrow is going to be like its own standalone clothing line. Um, and honestly, we just look forward to being able to continue to further the dialogue surrounding mental health um, and provide support to incredible mental health charities while also just being able to provide you guys with some pretty fucking dope clothes. Yeah, 22 years old, but the time you started dressing yourself. Huh. That kind of sounds like an Instagram caption. I am the, I am the one with the creative juice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My, my inspiration. Yeah, don't forget it. Yeah, I, I literally can't. So. That's a good point. This week on the podcast, guys, I'm so excited to share this platform with my new friend, author, and someone who honestly within the mental health space, I very much look up to, Andrew Reiner. Andrew is a professor at Townsend University where he offers the seminar Changing Face of Masculinity. He has written on masculinity and men's issues for the New York Times, Italy's La Repubblica. Solid accent. Thank you. Uh, the Washington Post magazine, uh, and his work has been featured on NPR, CBC, The Guardian, Men's Health magazine, and Forbes. He speaks about masculinity regularly at schools, conferences, nationally, internationally. Um, he's also the author of one of my favorite books, Better Boys, Better Men, uh, which led me to his incredible work and got him on the podcast. So, Andrew, thank you so much for being here, man. Welcome to the podcast. How you doing? Well, thank you for asking, Kyle. Andrew Reiner is completely overwhelmed. Mm. Um, um, I have been dealing with a friend who's got um, an aggressive form of early onset dementia. It's called frontotemporal. Mm. And it has been beyond overwhelming the past two years. But this week in particular, um, he's been in the hospital mm. um, because we he started getting delusional. And so we've got to find like another... Um, facility for him and another life for him and mm. it's basically it's been on my shoulders because i'm power of attorney so i have been mm. man talk about i haven't been experiencing a lot of highs this week it's been a lot of lows and a lot of a lot of tough times um you know it's um I, honestly i'm in a rough place man i really yeah. am i'm in a very tough place it's it's been it's been just one of those weeks at the end of the day, you just feel like you've just been in a couple fights, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's kind of like, it is almost exhausting to, I mean, in my it own is. life, that's what I find you just, it's that sense of drained and just, Oh my God, I, do I ever want to break? 
Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You know, the one thing that has been helping me tremendously, <clears throat> and I never really could give it a chance before, is is doing um, is doing affirmations. Mm. It's something that never really. Uh, I, I always understood it like intellectually, but it was the kind of thing that never worked for me. You know. Yeah. I was always too skeptical. Right. Um, and I always thought I'm great, glad it works for you, but man, it just I doesn't sit with me mm. and. So over the past couple of weeks, um, you know, I've been just really kind of facing up to some big shifts and changes that I want and need in my life. You know, mm. you, as you probably know, you, sometimes you've got to start to get close to bottom yeah. before you really feel, before you're really willing to start looking at things in a different way. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of where I am. You know, I'm kind of at a place where, you know, things need to shift yeah. and, and it, it's got, it always has to happen from within. I, I I would hate to say that it's it's refreshing to hear what you like how you're doing to be honest and I know that that's one of those things usually you want somebody to say oh I'm doing great I've had the best week ever yeah. um, it's been cool but it, it is because I think that um, you know we had just talked about right before I hit the recording button that there's been a lot going on in my own community that's really taken a lot out of out of all of us um, and uh, and that idea of hitting like bottom being a place to kind of reevaluate, I think is, I think is an interesting one because for, for us, like we have had an opportunity here in New Brunswick with, uh, with the young, the passing of this young girl in our community, Lexi, um, to reevaluate like how we as a province view mental health and healthcare. And it's really brought around some really important questions. And I think that that's one of those things where from this rock bottom, Sometimes, and I've always said this throughout the podcast and throughout everything from rock bottom can be a really great place to build a foundation. Um, so I think that that's, that's interesting that you touched on that as well. I think it's really cool. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge believer in the idea of the, the generative force and power mm. of rock bottom, because, you know, in the States, for instance, one of the things we haven't done, despite all of the you know, the huge issues with Black Lives Matter and the racism, the conversation, the conversation is still in a lot of ways stuck. Mm. And, and, and I really do believe that, you know, you, you know, when you hit rock bottom, that is, that's an unexpected open door. Yeah. That, that's the, that's the time you want to start, you know, that you really want to take advantage of that and start having the hard necessary conversations, whether it's with yourself or with other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love the idea of uh, when you're at rock bottom, that idea of it can't get any worse. I think yeah. that that's what I, I yeah. love. And I think that there's so much freedom once you kind of say, well, literally, I'm at, the, I'm at this low, low point. It's not like anything I can do will make any of this worse. And so I, I remember that that was something that I found really profound in my own mental health journey was when I was at that rock bottom. I was like, well, I might as well go see a therapist because why not? It can't get any worse. And so and then that kind of set me on a good track. So sometimes rock bottom Absolutely. can be a, a very beautiful thing for sure. Oh, it absolutely can be, yeah. you know, and, and it's, and it's, a, and it's a, it's an opportunity for redemption, mm. which is huge. Yeah, huge, it is. It is a huge opportunity, both from within and from without for redemption. I love that. That's great. Um, so, you know, speaking of redemption, um, you know, this idea of the way that we, we talk and we look at men uh, in, in regards to mental health and in society today, um, this has been something that after reading your book, which, uh, you know, for anybody who's listening, you, you have to go pick up uh, Better Boys, Better Men. Um, really incredible read, uh, an easy read as well, like one that uh, one that I, I 
decide like just burned through in a couple like a week um because i found that with everything that you were talking about with every point it was a little bit of that like every page you flipped you're like yeah i get that as a man i get like i understand this and it's so and it's so universal and so i mean i i'm kind of curious and i'd love with for you to share with um my listeners just kind of like why you decided to study men like why why this interest in the culture surrounding men Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, for me, it, it really begins when I'm about seven years old mm. and, you know, I get into this, 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 in my neighborhood, what was a, a very atypically brutal fight. Um, in my neighborhood, we had fights, they were over in a few minutes yeah. and they were never, never yeah, bad. Like little scraps. Yeah. 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 It was a scrap. You never really were trying to like, you know, beat the hell out of the other child. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so, there was this this kid who was about a year younger than me. Maybe, maybe it was about, the, well, I think actually we were the same age. He was like a grade behind me. But anyway, we're about seven and we get into this fight and and it, it just drags on. It becomes this brutal fight. And it becomes one of these unusual fights in that all the kids in the neighborhood come running out when they hear about it. You know, mm-hmm. kids are like knocking at each other's doors. You've got to see this fight. Right. Because nobody really it's ever seen it. the main event. Oh, yeah. yeah, it was, it was, yeah. Nobody, because this thing went on. And it got to the point where, you know, he, um, you know, tells me to get on my knees and beg for mercy. I mean, we never, this kind of sadism wasn't the kind of thing that ever happened Mm. in our neighborhood. We didn't, we joked around about things like that, but we never said things or did things like that to each other. Yeah. So, you know, I'm getting broken down and I do it and he still keeps hitting me. Mm. And at one point I get up and I run away, you know, because the fight has been going on so long, I'm bloodied up and pummeled. Um, you know, I run away. He still catches up to me and, and starts hitting me. And I remember at one point, um, you know, one of the things that that's a really unusual experience about being a human and experiencing trauma is that for some reason, when we're in the middle of, of something, no matter how quickly it happens, time seems to slow down, mm-hmm. you know, and that yeah. moment, remember small things. I remember before I got up and ran away because I just, I just had to get away from this, just, just, brutal beating absolutely i remember looking around at the kids around me you know and their mouths were just open i remember that Mm -hmm. their eyes they were wide-eyed their mouths were open because none we had seen things like this you know maybe on tv but we'd never seen anything like this you know in real person in the neighborhood and so um eventually i find my way home that day you know i I spent time by myself behind an azalea bush to get (laughs) away from everyone and everything and i'm just traumatized man bloody you know crying just oh just completely you know in this kind of moment of you're just you're just you can't even think straight you're just so yeah yeah it's like survival instinct kind of kicks in completely completely that's why i just i literally was like a dog i just Mm. found a place to sit by myself and just you know try to lick my wounds you know eventually I, i get home and i walk through the back door and i hear my oldest brother screaming at the top of his lungs and i'm thinking okay, he's, he's pissed off. He's going to like stand up for me in yeah, some way. Yeah. And he's yelling at my mother. And I just hear him saying, what a coward, what a black mm. sheep, what an embarrassment to the family. And he was talking about me. Wow. And my mother really didn't say much to really counter what he was saying. She just kind of listened and let him kind of burn out, you know, the heat a little bit. Um, and she just said something to the effect of, well, you know, I'm sure this is something he'll grow out of. Mm-hmm. Um, so even though I didn't intellectually think to myself, wow, my mother's not really coming to my aid here. Yeah. On an emotional level, on an emotional level, even as a kid, you pick up, there's Mm. no support. 
Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing too about being being a young kid is like it, you'd be amazed how much stuff you just absorb. You know, we always say that kids are sponges. And even if it's not something that you're cognizantly aware of, I mean, half the time I've been in therapist office and I've said something and they're like, do you think that stems from, you know, when your dad or your mom or like this, maybe they let, you know, like, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, like where did that come from? Yeah. yeah. That's yes. exactly right. And mm-hmm. that's exactly it. And you're right. And kids, kids don't get it intellectually, but they mm. get it where it hits harder, which is emotionally. Mm. Yeah. And so they know on some level that they're not really being protected. And so that smear campaign really that my brother started that day, you know, just really just, just took off. And he, you know, that became, you know, the story for my brother with me mm-hmm. decade for decades, well into like probably my late twenties, early thirties, wow. you know, everything, every excuse that he found to make fun of me or to deride me was something about me being cowardly mm-hmm. always. Right. And it wasn't just me. I mean, he, you know, he looked for ways in our family to demean and to, you know, to verbally, you know, pick on the other siblings as well. Right. Um, but for me, what happened was, um, so, you know, at seven, eight years old, I'm looking for fights. Yeah. And what I didn't realize until much, much, much later is I'm basically trying to fight my way out of the shame. Totally. Yeah. Prove yourself. So I do that for years. And I always do this at school. I mean, I got into, still got into fights in the neighborhood, but by and large, you know, I was looking for other places hmm. where that felt like I could do this without being judged. You know, mm, yeah. my brother wasn't at school. My eldest brother wasn't at school. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking for fights at school and, and I was successful. I found them. You yeah. know? Well, if you go not looking that, for a fight, usually you can not find not one. Not that I want them, but man, the fights are not hard to find if you're looking for yeah. them. Yeah. <laughs> and so I spent a lot of time doing that. Right. And I remember uh, one of my teachers one year, I must have been in like second or third grade, but she would give me like a big candy bar at the end of each week if I didn't mm-hmm. get into fight. Wow. Yeah. And it was just that bad, that young. So I was just getting into fights constantly and not constantly, but a lot. Mm-hmm. And so when I was in like sixth grade, I get into this fight with this kid on the playground. And I remember really, really feeling, you know, being aware of my, my fist connecting mm-hmm. with his jaw. Yeah. And that feeling just reverberated like throughout my body. I mean, mm-hmm. it just, it suddenly just kind of dawned on me. You know, I real I was doing something I hated doing. Mm-hmm. I hated fighting. It made me nauseous. You know, I just, I didn't, you know, I didn't really, I didn't want to be doing this. Right. And so, you know, once I finally unclenched my fist, literally and figuratively, it kind of opened up the space for me to start looking around and looking at the ways, the cruel ways often, you know, that boys treat each other, the way we talk to each other, the way we don't talk to to each other, Mm -hmm. you know, the the things we do as well. And so it kind of opened up a consciousness for me that I was really avoiding. Yeah. Yeah. And so... what? everything shifted after that everything shifted suddenly i am like aware of things on my radar right that i've been avoiding looking at for all this time or that yeah. i just or that i didn't even need to be aware of you know and so you know i'm looking at things you know i'm seeing that you know in in the locker room during gym class yeah you know, the, certain guys are suddenly like really riding other guys really hard mm-hmm. for the stupidest of things you know, I'm looking at, you know, when we're playing sports, the way that guys are trash talking to each other, Yeah. you know, and, and, and I didn't know exactly what about it bothered me. I just knew it felt really wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I just knew on a very visceral level, this 
feels wrong. I don't know why, but I cannot buy into this anymore. I can't mm. do it anymore. That's interesting and, so, and powerful that you had that realization at a young age, though, because I feel like so many especially men go through their through their whole lives and they kind of just like discount everything as well that's just how life is or that's just how guys are or that's just how whatever right and so that's that's interesting that at that young age after being immersed within this very you could you know call it that toxic masculinity culture and that like that anger and that fighting the shame that you were able to take that step back after that moment and say it's not just me i'm seeing a lot of guys doing the same kind of stuff and that's just feels wrong yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I got to tell you, man, I felt like a pariah for a long time mm-hmm. because, you know, I'm wondering like, like on the one hand, I just don't feel like I just fit in. Yeah. And yet on the other hand, the thing, the thing that saved me that really helped my inner compass was that I was a mirror image in many ways of my oldest brother. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, just as big feelings you know, just as, you know, just as, just as feisty, Mm -hmm. you know, just as, you know, just as quick, you know, to, to really kind of just clench my fists. But I decided at a young age, even when I was still fighting, I didn't know it at that time, but I realized that I really, no, actually it was after I was fighting, when I started opening my eyes, I realized that I wanted to push back against everything he was about. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't consciously aware of that, but I did that. That's when I started opening my eyes and paying attention. And I was going to just put everything I had of me into pushing back against everything I hated about him Mm. because he represented the worst impulses of masculinity. He really Mm. did. And I was going to, I was going to, I was going to go at it with everything I had against everything people like guys, like he represented. Yeah. And I did. Yeah, I did. Well, I was going to say, how did, my- how did that, how did that start? I mean, what was the, what was that kind of first step along this, this journey, this crusade that you've been on? Um, because if you recognize it at such a young age, I'm just curious, like if it was starting a group at school or if it was just talking to people, like when did you actually start doing that, that physical work within the space? That's a great question, Kyle. So, you know, it wasn't conscious, mm. you know, if this was not conscious, I was just kind of undertaking it in my own little small way. Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't, this wasn't becoming, you know, a kind of crusade where I was trying to, in, you know, enlist other people. Mm-hmm. I was just kind of plodding along, you know, and I was just thinking, you know, I'm opening my eyes and looking at ways of talking and behaving that, that really, that just sickened me really. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, I didn't have that kind of bigger perspective of, I want to affect change on a large scale. Right. It was I'm just trying to get by day to day. I'm trying mm. to survive, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, and I don't understand, you know, why this is all happening. It, all I know is it feels wrong to me. And I trust that it feels wrong to me. Mm-hmm. One of the first things I remember doing was being in the locker room in gym class during seventh grade. And there was this kid, Benjamin Barry. He was like the, one of the few kids at that age who like actually had biceps, you know, right. yeah. actually, like who works out in yeah. seventh grade? Yeah. I know every, every gym class has one. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just get Benjamin Barry. And he lines up three of us, you know, and he tells us, you know, all the, you know, all the things that, you know, he's like giving us orders, things to do. Yeah. And I said, no, I'm not doing it. Mm. He said, what do you mean you're not doing? I said, what you're doing is wrong. I don't remember the exact words, but something to the effect of I'm not doing this. You're bullying us. This is not okay, man. This is not okay. Mm -hmm. If you want to hit me, go ahead and hit me. Yeah. You know, but, 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 you know, I'm just telling you right now, I'm not doing this. Mm. You guys shouldn't be doing it either. Mm-hmm. 
And so it just kind of diffused. Right. Oh, it so diffused. I wasn't looking, you know, I wasn't looking for ways, like I said, to enlist other people. I wasn't right. there yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I just knew that I couldn't stand up for this shit. This was not okay. Right. You know, and so I was basically just kind of going from like day to day. I was always kind of in survival mode anyway. Mm. But I was just kind of going day to day, you know, and when things did happen, that pushed back. I mean, when things did happen, that definitely reminded me of what I was dealing with at home with my brother. Yeah. I just, I just knew out there, I wasn't having any of it. Mm-hmm. And so it was basically going from like day to day experience to experience, just saying, drawing boundaries and saying, this is not okay. You know yeah. what you're doing. You know, maybe it was also something I remember sitting at the lunch table with friends, you know, and I was always really into sports, always mm-hmm. played sports, nice. but I yeah, hated, yeah. Talking about them. hated right. talking about them. And so we'd sit there and I'd say, I don't feel like talking about the game. Mm-hmm. Why do we have to talk about the game? <laughs> right. There's other things to talk about. What do you want to talk about? Well, she is beautiful. That girl sitting at the table over there. Do you mm-hmm. know anything about her? She's beautiful. I would love to meet her. Yeah. I mean, it's just anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, but it was, just, I didn't want to sit around and do what guys always did, which was just sit around and talk about sports. Mm-hmm. Well, and- and so it, it was really small, little, you know, trivial things like that. Yeah. That were really just kind of raising my own consciousness. Mm-hmm. As you went and, and as you kind of, subconsciously were were calling out these behaviors in day-to-day life um i was really intrigued when you said that uh uh, benjamin barry uh that when when you stood up to him that he that it de-escalated the situation because from what i've seen a lot within um kind of society especially the rhetoric that's been going on through social media over the past couple years is that a lot of the times when now men are kind of men are are challenged in a very immediate way to look very critically at the lives that they've grown up with at how they're um the the culture that they've created or that has been created by their grandparents or their fathers or their uncles or anything like that and i find that a lot of men are really pushing back on that so i, I was really surprised to hear that that uh benjamin barry like he, he took that step back um as you've started doing your work how have you found it's been received by men um, so the, you know, the response has been not surprisingly mixed. Mm. Um, a lot of, you know, a lot of men, I'd say, you know, late forties, fifties, um, have, have said to me, um, you know, you know, you know some guys have said, you know, I like it, but even a lot of guys who consider themselves, you know, pretty enlightened guys mm-hmm. who are older, um, like, you know, middle, middle age, upper middle age, um, have really, they told me they've seen a lot of their own experiences in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but they've really, um, they haven't exactly told me what, but there's parts about it that, you know, that they, they may not be completely on board with mm-hmm. because if they were on board with it, I know they would have told me that. Mm. I think what what is happening with a lot of men is that it's pushing their buttons, which mm-hmm. is good because yeah. the buttons, that, the buttons that I'm trying to push after years of being in this space of working towards healthy masculinity mm-hmm. and researching and writing about this for the past five or six years, I, I think I know, I think I have a pretty good sense of where really where we need to be headed. Mm-hmm. And so when I hear guys saying I couldn't get through the book Mm. or, you know, I saw a lot of myself in there to me, that's code for, you know, it was pushing parts of me that made me uncomfortable. 
Right. And as we were talking about before, about hitting bottom, that's a place, that's a generative place to come from. That's mm -hmm. a place of possibility and change. That's a place that's hard, but that's where you work from if you're mm -hmm. really going to affect any kind of change and growth. Right. And so I don't begrudge any man who reads it and can't get through it. Mm -hmm. I was interviewing a guy about two weeks ago um, who's in his mid-30s. He's a young dad. And he said to me, um, you know, I was reading your book and, um, and I, 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 just, I just had to put it down even when I was at the introduction. I couldn't keep going wow. on. And I said, do you mind telling me why? Mm -hmm. And he said, because I just saw too much of myself in the book. Yeah. So that's the kind of thing for, I've noticed for a lot of, a lot of older men, mm -hmm. but I'm not surprised that some younger men too, you know, but by and large, I, you know, with, with men, the, some of the younger men, the response has been more like much more receptive mm -hmm. and much more able to see the value in yeah. what it is that I'm really kind of, really kind of aiming for. Mm -hmm. And I think that that, I mean, if I was just to kind of draw my own rough conclusion on why that would be just as a young man who's read the book and really resonated with a lot of it, but couldn't put it down kind of like the, the, the opposite of it. Um, I think that like, we've been really fortunate to grow up where it's like this, this new age of this emphasis on mental health, this new age of masculinity, this very socially conscious culture has kind of like, I feel like it has helped this newer generation of man a little bit kind of come to grips more, I guess, more easily with like, okay, that's a healthy example of masculinity. And even though that might not mirror my own life, I understand that like, these are elements that like, would benefit me to align with. Um, versus a lot of other men who might be in the older generation, kind of, it is one of those things where it's like, it's that, can you teach an old dog new tricks? I, I've been living my whole life this way. It's worked out really well for me up to this point. And now all of a sudden you're telling me that I'm a bad person or they're feeling attacked because it's like, Hey, you guys were part of this masculinity group. And now we're looking at this masculinity group. And I think that that can be tough for, for some older people to process for sure. It is to give you a really good example of that. Um, there's a gentleman that I interviewed, his name is Paul, and mm -hmm. he was in the, the chapter I begin in the book about men in their relationships. Mm -hmm. It actually is a pretty staggering story because Paul is this lawyer. He's like 60 years old and um, he's a really thoughtful guy. And he goes through this really, really profound transformation because he's, he's divorced. He's been kicked out of his house. He's not seeing his kids nearly enough because his wife isn't really letting him see them. He's drinking way too much and he's in this apartment and he's in a really, like really probably the lowest point in his life. He told yeah. me. And so there's this vertical beam in his, in his like living room mm -hmm. and, he's, and he's, you know, typically, you know, fairly drunk one night, really down and, and just incredibly, he doesn't know why he does this. Of course we can all figure it out when we're reading it, but he goes over and he just ends up hugging the hell out of this beam. Mm -hmm. And he's having this thought while he's doing it, you know, that, you know, this is pathetic as hell. Right. I am completely, I'm completely disgusted with myself right now. <laughs> right. And yet yeah. something about this feels oddly helpful and mm -hmm. really, really good. Mm -hmm. And so he ends up doing it again and he ends up doing it again and he ends up doing it again. So Paul ends up going through this transformation of realizing that all the relationships in his life, you know, the men that he's close to, mm. he's just really not getting what he needs. He mm. needs something more. But here's the thing. 
even though Paul needs this physical touch Mm -hmm. and he needs to be talking about things beyond just sports, he can only really take it so far Mm. because when I follow up with him throughout over the course of like a two year period, I did it throughout the book when I was researching the book, um, you know, Paul eventually like, like found a trivia group to go out and, and, and do, which was great. That was fantastic. Yeah. yeah. And when he, I'd say to him, well, so, you know, you, you know, what about these guy friends you told me about that you could talk with that go back to your college days? Well, you know, I can still talk with them. Well, so what does that look like? And often what it looked like was Paul, you know, doing what I call targeted transparency. Mm-hmm. There were certain things he felt safe sharing, some things he didn't. He would pick and choose what he shared. And often he would be getting like advice or solutions. Yeah. Right. Typical, right? Yes. About how to handle the problem. Yeah. What's the fix? Well, yeah. Yeah. And so, okay, Paul, so what is it like? Like, do you ever get emotional support? Well, I just told you I got support from them, but do you get emotional support? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, I mean, that's like, you know, I'll get that from my girlfriend. So this is the kind of thing that even when some guys think they're getting it, mm-hmm. actually, they're really not. Mm-hmm. And there were younger men that I would interview, um, guys who were like in high school and college. I'd say the same question. So where do you guys get your emotional support? I've got a couple of close guy friends. What does it look like when you talk to them? Almost always, Kyle, it was a matter of getting advice and solutions to problems that they didn't feel like they could or should be going to anybody else for because they should be doing it on their own, right? But um, rarely were they ever getting the kind of emotional support Mm -hmm. that they could get from females in their lives. So- I would love if you could give an like an example or or more of like a definition as to the difference between going and just talking about hey here's the problem I have offer up some solutions and emotional support. Right. So they they look similar on the surface to to a lot of guys especially because we conflate the two. We really mm-hmm. do. We we are getting if we are getting help from another guy, they care about us. Right. IE there, er, ergo, that is emotional support, mm-hmm. but it's not. When a lot of guys go to females in their lives, be they friends, be they girlfriends, be they partners, be they wives, they're venting and what they're really hoping to get back often more than advice is they want somebody to say, this really sucks. This must yeah. be really hard. Yeah. This, this, wow, you're really in a tough place. Mm-hmm. You know, would, would you like a hug? Mm-hmm. These are examples of the kind of things that so many females have been culturally raised to do. They, it's just implicit to, to their being. Mm-hmm. But this can and is part of the being of, of those of us who are males because we can, we can easily learn to do this if we weren't raised this way. Right. We can. Yeah. You know, we, it, we see it constantly in men's groups. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's not a coincidence that we're seeing, you know, this burgeoning rise of men's groups right now. And in men's groups, men are learning to to practice this and and to do this in ways. And it's fine if it's behind closed doors because a lot of them really are ashamed of this. And and it's really this kind of, you know, this this kind of new ground they're covering that they're still trying to figure out how to be this way with another guy. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's what it looks like. You know, it looks like something as simple as I'm here for you. Yeah. I'm here to just listen. Yeah. Something as simple as that. Mm-hmm. Something as simple as saying, wow, that must be really hard and leaving it at that. Yeah. Yeah. Or and something I... like, or something like, would you like a hug? 
Right. Yeah. And it's funny you say that. And I've got, and I know uh, we're getting close to the times. So I got two more questions for you. Um, but I wanted to share real quick because I know that uh, the people who are listening and who just heard that, um, I've talked about it on the podcast before. And I believe that we had talked about it um, as well on a previous call. But um, the moment that really changed my life as a young man with mental health was going, I had been to a few therapists before, had never really resonated with anybody that I was with. Um, and so I, I always thought that ah, therapy is not my thing. It's not for me. I, ha- I was one of those people who had that mindset that oh, I don't need to go to therapy. I've tried it three times versus like seeing it as that dating process where you go and you meet new people and you see who you connect with. But I finally went to a therapist when I was uh, a Ryerson student in Toronto. And I went to this therapist and she said, okay, tell me what's going on. And so I gave her the, I gave her this spiel that I'd given to every other therapist I'd ever been to. And I remember she sat in silence for a few seconds and it was one of the first times in my life that I'd opened up to somebody and they hadn't tried to give me a quick fix. And I assumed that that's what therapists were. I thought that they were supposed to say, I'm saying, here's my problems. Give me the, give me the answer. And she sat there silently for a few minutes. And I remember it was, I was very awkward and I was sitting there and I'm like, why hasn't she said anything? Like what the hell is going on? (laughs) And, uh, and I was kind of getting uncomfortable. I was like fidgeting in my seat. I'm like, should I go? Like what's going on? And, uh, and she just looked at me and she goes, you know what? sounds really hard. And I remember, and I remember just like sitting kind of sinking back into my seat and I was like, wow, it's been like 15 years of pressure, just, you know, boiling me down and really kind of condensing me. And then all of a sudden I've got this, this human being who I don't know, who heard my experiences and just validated that it's shitty and that it's tough. And I was like, and it was this breath of fresh air and it did, it put me on a much better path. Just that one, like you said, when you were a kid and you had that thing just click, it was like, I had that same thing. That just moment happened, that light bulb went off and I was like, oh my God, yeah, this is hard. And it's like, that's okay for this to be hard. I don't have to fight against that. That's exactly right. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly right. And that's what, you know, that's what, that, you know, we need permission, Mm -hmm. you know, boys and men need to give each other much more permission a to be able to feel the things that we're told we're not supposed to fear mm-hmm. feel but we are okay to fear them mm-hmm. and we need to give we also need to give you know them permission to um to to you know to to know boys and men also need permission to know that another boy or man can meet them where they are emotionally right because we, we, because we really, on a very subtle level, we just, the way that we're socialized together, we don't give that kind of permission. Mm-hmm. You know, I have never, I, I don't think I've ever had another guy say to me, wow, what you're going through is really shitty. Yeah. I feel for you. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think I've ever had another guy say that. Right. And, and, and yet I've sat there, you know, with female therapists, with women mm-hmm. who have no problem going there. Yeah. Yeah, because it, it does. It just seems more effortless. Yeah, it's just that. Of course, like that's hard. Yeah, right. Of yeah. course. I mean, it's like it's like the most normal thing in the world to say. Right. Right. But but it's this idea that you know, in in so many levels, you know, we're taught at a young age and throughout our lives that we don't have permission mm-hmm. when it comes to those parts of our lives. We don't have permission to really integrate those seemingly negative feelings mm-hmm. with the rest of our being. Right. Whereas so many women just, just know this is the most normal thing in the world. Yeah. It sucks sometimes and it's hard, but it's normal. It's part mm. of being human. Yeah. And we just, we don't give each other permission to, mm. to experience those feelings in any real meaningful way. And then to also 
you know, bear witness to it mm-hmm. and to, and to, and to make, and to validate it. Amazing. Um, okay. So these last two questions, uh, the first one I want to ask, and I think that it kind of bleeds from that answer into this. Um, but, uh, at the end of every episode, I like to give my listeners a challenge, um, something that they can implement in their day, their week, their month, their life, something that will help them live a more fulfilled, happy life. Um, and I would love if in particular, you could put forth a challenge to the men who are listening to this episode um, for something that they can do that you've learned in your years of, of looking at this this interesting, interesting life of, of man, um, a challenge that you'd put forth to any of the male listeners. Absolutely. So um, I'd have one, I'd have two challenges, one for somebody that you know pretty well. Mm-hmm. And for one that who's a complete stranger, mm-hmm. for the person in your life, for a, a boy or a man that you know, really well, you know, when you see that look on the, that look on that boy or man's face that you can tell for just a moment, that they're stricken, mm-hmm. that they're that they're feeling a little bit vulnerable ask them if they're okay. Mm. Ask them, ask them if they're okay. Ask them if it's anything that, that, you know, that they could, they'd like to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, ask them if they need a hug. Mm. You know, we, we know when people need help, we can mm-hmm. tell that stricken look in somebody's face, right. the eyes given away. Right. Yeah. Which is for that one moment, you know, whatever you're comfortable with, ask that person, if they're okay, at the very least, ask them, are you okay? Mm-hmm. If you're not okay, is there anything I can do to help? Mm-hmm. Even something as simple as that, you know, or ask them if, you know, if there's any, you know, if, if they want to talk about it or ask them if they need a hug with mm-hmm. somebody who's a complete stranger. If you're out and you see a guy who, you know, looks like he could use a little help, he probably could use a little help. Mm-hmm. And with guys, we always think, you know, one of two things, either I'm sure he's fine and I don't want to embarrass him. Mm-hmm which it within in and of itself is a problem, mm-hmm. but I don't want to embarrass him because, you know, he's a guy and I'm sure, you know, he's going to feel really offended or I don't want to like, you know, intrude. That's mm-hmm. the other thing. A yeah, lot of guys yeah, yeah. Would, I don't want to intrude. Try to push beyond that because that's, that's really both of those reflexive thoughts are really underpin a lot of the problems that we perpetuate for ourselves and for other men. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's part of the problem. And so try to get beyond, put those aside and just go up to a guy and say, Hey man, you know, can I give you a hand mm-hmm. or, you know, just, Hey, is everything all right? Yeah. I'm not, I'm not trying to intrude, but you know, just, is everything cool? Are you mm-hmm. all right? Is there anything I can do? If not, just give me the word, but I just wanted to let you know, you know, you know, I see something and I just, yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm here to help. If you see a guy, you know, in a grocery store, you know, knocking over a display of cans, you know, don't even say anything. Just go over and help him pick up the cans. Yeah. If he wants to react and say, hey, I've got this, that's cool. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing that we don't often realize about, about reaching out to people. While as men, we are taught to reflexively push back and to let people know that we've got this all under control because mm-hmm. that's our competency. At the end of the day, that person is going to be in his car or he's going to be walking to his apartment and on some level, he's going to think that was really nice mm-hmm. that even though I didn't want the help, somebody was there for me. Right. Everybody, everybody needs to know. <laughs> 
I've been in this tough place, man. You're catching me. You're catching me when I'm wrong. Oh, dude, I, I get um, it. I get it. Everybody needs to know yeah. somebody's got our back. Everybody yeah. needs to know that even a stranger, in some ways it feels even more powerful mm. when it's a stranger. Absolutely. Somebody's got our back out there. Yeah. That makes a huge difference at the end of the day, whether we admit it at that time or not. On a deep level, we feel good that somebody at least asked. I love that. I think that that's I think that that's beautiful. I think that idea of everyone needs to know that somebody has your back. Um, I think that one definitely resonates. I think that hits pretty close to home here too, uh, with everything that my community's dealt with over the past little bit. So, yeah, thank you, man. I think that that's a beautiful uh, challenge. Um, the last question that I want to ask you uh, is simply, what was your favorite part of writing the book, and how can people get their hands on Better Boys, Better Men? Yeah. Oh, thank you for asking. Um, my favorite part of writing the book, um, there were two parts of it. One of it was, one of the favorite parts was definitely in, in the writing. You mm-hmm. know, I love the analysis. Great. St- I just love sitting down and trying to make sense of all this. Mm-hmm. The other part of it was, um, was interviewing the men and the boys. I just, yeah. I love, I love being in conversation. And yeah. that, that was, oh, me too. That, that, yeah, I just love being in conversation and it was just, you know, the give and the take, mm-hmm. you know, and, and helping people figure things out sometimes for themselves that they hadn't really thought about before. That's amazing. I love that. It was a gift. It was a gift. Yeah. Well, I mean, your writing has been a gift to so many. So I, I want to thank you. I mean, just on behalf of men who have dealt with some, uh, some really kind of getting caught up in the, just being a man, uh, and, and the tangles that that can, that can ensue. Uh, thank you for the work that you've done because it is, it is, very impactful uh in more ways than you know so thank you for thank you for the book thank you for just being yourself um and uh yeah andrew reiner a beautiful man and uh, a beautiful author so make sure to pick up better boys better men and uh andrew thank you so much for coming on the podcast thank you for having me on you're doing great work kyle thank you i appreciate that That's powerful stuff, man. Yeah, this this episode I think sums up what I'm what I was hoping Life's a Wreck would become uh, really well. Like this idea of two men of different generations can show themselves to be vulnerable and in need of support on a public platform, and yet at the end of the day, just because a man asks for help or a hug, like Andrew said, or to have space to let some tears fall, like it doesn't make them less of a man or who they are. Like Andrew is going to wake up tomorrow after this episode comes out and he's still going to be a father and a partner and an incredible author. And I'm going to wake up tomorrow and still be a charismatic 22 year old podcaster with great hair and bad breath. Not going to let me have anything. No, no. All right. But, but you do know what I'm getting at here, right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. No, I think this idea of men trying to fight to protect the character that they play is something that we see a lot. Um, you know, like why let people see the more intimate mental parts of your life because they might start to perceive you differently. Um, and that would go against this public persona that you've created. And a lot of men see the structure of their lives built on this persona, this character, and not who they are as a human being. Um, you know, it, it's who they are as a man, not who they are as themselves, if that makes sense. Who they are as men, not who they are as themselves. That's some pretty like to... profound shit. don't know what to tell you i'm a pretty profound guy that's that's great man and and i think if this episode can carry any weight behind it at all like i can say from personal experience the freedom that i've given myself by not letting that internal struggle control my life has changed everything for me like a- as a man i'm more confident 
I can't be rattled by what people think about who I am or what I do or how I act or dress or walk or talk or whatever. Like I'm my own worst critic. And once I started to work with that <clears throat> and him, of course, uh, like I, I feel this level of freedom and it's like, it, it's incredible. Like it, it does. It feels like you're kind of, you know, you can take the world on. The only thing that you have to worry about is how you are going to handle the day to day. The other people's influences, it just doesn't matter anymore this idea of traditional masculinity and the restraints i guess that it put on me for a long period of time in not talking about my mental health and not talking about the shit that was going on like that's gone and and i just i just feel fucking great and i and i certainly hope that there are some men out there who listen to this and they see what andrew have done and they see what the podcast is and they see what i've done and how this message has all been perceived and there's always going to be people who are going to like fucking talk shit about you that's that's that is a way of life it is always going to happen people who are going to question your manhood for doing this that and the other but when you're secure in and i don't say secure in that like insecure secure way but like i mean like secure as in like you are grounded in who you are as a person you are going to present present an authentic you're going to bear yourself not this version of yourself that you think you have to present it's it's a, a fucking amazing thing amazing thing and and i honestly like i think the perfect way to end this episode masculinity is a wreck life's a wreck and fuck it that's all from us see you in two weeks Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.